Hello and welcome to uh, this career fast. This is brought to you by the Career Development Committee for um, the Eastern Association for the Survey of Trauma. Uh, I'm Priya Sheik. I'm one of the trauma acute care and uh, critical care surgeons at University Hospital in New York. Um, today we're going to be talking about how to choose between the different fellowships that are available. Um, and today we'll be hearing from Dr. David Deicher, who is a trauma surgeon out at Geisinger um, in Pennsylvania and Dr. Wei Wei Zhang, who is a trauma surgeon at University Hospital in New York. Um, all right, so to start things off, um, if you could each just tell me a little, bit, a little bit about the fellowship that you each went to um, and now the type of practice that you're in today. Dr. Deicher. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I did a one-year trauma critical care fellowship at uh, Rutgers Newark. Um, finished that last year. So I'm in my first year of practice here out at Geisinger. I'm at uh, Geisinger Scranton, which is a level two trauma center. Um, and it's, uh, you know, true kind of acute care practice. So we cover the trauma, cover the emergency general surgery. And then we also have a little bit of elective practice as well that comes through the clinic. Um, and then we, at least as of now, only do the ICU management of the trauma patients and our surgery patients, but that's slowly expanding that we're covering the other uh, surgical services as well. Okay, great. And Dr. Zane? Hi, yeah. Um, so I also did a one-year fellowship like Dr. Deicher, but I did it um, at BIDMC um, in Boston. Um, I thought my fellowship was very critical care and um, emergency general surgery um, heavy, um, and it was a great experience. Um, then I took my first job um, at um, University Hospital at Rutgers, where Dr. Deicher trained, um, and, um, and where my job is mostly um, very trauma-heavy, so we have um, a high rate of penetrating trauma. Um, we're in an urban um, kind of um, environment and serving an underserved population. Um, here, we, um, we also cover the surgical ICUs, um, uh, which consists of trauma patients, as well as surgical ICU patients, such as transplant patients, general surgery patients, plastic CNT patients, and we do get a mix of some uh, medical ICU patients here and there as well. Um, and then we cover um, our emergency general surgery on a separate service with um, um, different types of um, other general surgeons. And they may be, um, a lot of them are trauma surgeons like my partners, um, but some of them may also be um, like MIS surgeons or colorectal surgeons, bariatric surgeons, or drunk people who also um, take call in that call, call pool. Okay, great. So. So Dr. Deichra did a fellowship that was heavily geared towards trauma and um, surgical critical care. And Dr. Zhang did a fellowship focused on critical care and emergency general surgery. So what made you choose those um, specific fellowships? Were you geared towards focusing on those specific areas? And how did you choose between doing a one-year versus two-year fellowship? You want to go first, Wei Wei? Yeah. So for me, um, I applied pretty broadly and I applied to both one year and two year fellowships. 
Um, I thought that coming out of residency, um, I thought that my general surgery training was pretty well-rounded as well as, um, and my critical care experience, I thought we, you know, we did a lot of critical care. We cross-covered a lot in residency. So I felt pretty comfortable in critical care um, and in emergency general surgery. So um, I thought the missing piece for me was probably like um, the penetrating trauma. So I really was only looking at two-year programs in like, um, um, in places where there was high volume penetrating trauma. Um, other, other than that, I was taking a one-year fellowship. Um, I ultimately decided on the particular one-year fellowship I took because I thought that, you know, um, if you're going to do a one-year fellowship, um, you know, the bulk of your training is going to be in critical care. And the program that I was, um, I chose, I thought had really strong, really structured critical care training with a lot of education and with a lot of people who were, you know, knowledgeable in critical care. And um, this particular program also allowed us to take um, attending call as um as a as a general surgeon um, for trauma and emergency general surgery. Um, in a supervised setting. So I thought that that would give me kind of, um, number one, it would keep me kind of in the loop so that I'm operating for that year I'm in fellowship, but also it would give me um, enough confidence to go out on my own. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I took my first job at a place that was very trauma heavy and um, has a lot of penetrating trauma. So I think what I decided was that I was going to um, fulfill that um, perceived deficiency that I had um, outside of training, kind of on the job training instead of um, doing a formalized uh, fellowship. Yeah, uh, similar to where, so I did residency uh, at Lehigh Valley in Allentown, which is very much like a community busy surgery thing. And we do a tremendous amount of critical care there and emergency general surgery. Um, and we get a little bit of penetrating, not a whole lot. So I really thought that like the missing uh, tool in my toolbox for the, you know, trauma surgery thing was dealing with penetrating trauma. So I really try, I applied broadly to see like what different programs were like, but was really focused on trying to go somewhere um, with a high operative trauma type caseload, especially with penetrating. Um, so that's kind of how I pretty much focused and landed on Newark. Um, as far as one or two year, I applied to both. I wasn't really sure. Um, you know, I've asked this question multiple times to multiple different mentors. And I remember asking this, the same question to at the Maddox trauma conference, like three, four years ago, when I was a mid-level resident and you have like the meet the mentors and it was split 50, 50 between all, you know, the big names in trauma and what their recommendations for one or two years were. Um, but I think, you know, I think one year was good for me because I'm not a huge research person. Um, and I think, you know, the benefit of maybe doing a two-year program is it's more time to kind of do trauma research. Um, if that's, you know, you're interested in kind of the research and education uh, focus with your career. I also think too, that if maybe you came from a program where you either don't feel comfortable or didn't do a lot of emergency general surgery cases, acute care surgery cases, that having that kind of extra year of, you know, quote unquote, being a junior attending with someone to kind of help you in that kind of stuff to still have a pretty good backup support before you uh, start off as attending can be beneficial as well. Um, but like I said, it, where I residency, I felt very comfortable in my general surgery and kind of emergency general surgery stuff. So I really thought, you know, one year was all I kind of needed to polish off and finish off my training. 
Okay, great. And you both felt like with the balance of everything that you had in residency and the specific areas you chose to focus on in fellowship, you were ready to take on the, your jobs um, for your as your first time attending jobs. It, it well prepared you uh, in all aspects. Well, I think, you know, I think it's hard to feel fully prepared for your attending, first attending job, no matter how many years of training. I think you're always going to feel like that, you know, you don't know anything, everything that you need to know that there is, you know, that it's, it's really scary, I think, being a first year attending. But I think that I, I, for me, I felt like I was going to be as ready as I was going to be. And like I said, I looked at it as more as a, um, as a learning experience and as an opportunity to learn. I think for me personally, I was very lucky to, you know, have my first job, you know, in an academic setting with people with supportive partners who, um, you know, who had more experience in penetrating trauma than I did. So, you know, I was able to kind of do a lot of on the job learning and things like that. Um, so there's definitely that aspect. I think it's, it all depends on how you kind of look at this process. But I definitely think having a good foundation in basic, you know, bread and butter general surgery and having a good, you know, being well-trained and, um, and having a good foundation in critical care knowledge will help you prepare for any job that you're gonna take like out there. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. So you're never going to be like 100% confident and prepared for your job. And I think, you know, within the first month of starting here, like, yeah, I knew the basics. It felt comfortable enough, but I was definitely, you know, calling my partners to ask their opinions about things. And there's even a few times I reached out to, you know, some of my mentors in residency and at Rutgers and fellowship to bounce some ideas off of them. Because despite how many years of training you do, you're bound to see something you've never seen before within the first month or two of starting your job. Um, but I think like uh, Dr. Zang said, kind of getting that well-rounded experience between residency and fellowship at least gives you that basis and a little bit of comfort level. Um, and really, you know, you get comfortable with that and you at least can be comfortable with what you also don't know um, and know how to kind of help get support to answer those things. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember that you, you know, as much as you train during residency and fellowship, you want to garner as much knowledge as you can, but then when you're coming out of fellowship and you're working as a first-time attending, it's important to have that support early on. Um, okay, so I wanted to move into uh, another uh, realm of this topic. So since COVID started, um, obviously interviews for fellowship um, has changed quite a bit. Um, how do you think this has affected um, interviewing um, in terms of you know using the virtual format and also the lack of seeing the programs um, in person um, and really getting a feel of, of what that entails. Uh, I think it has its pluses and minuses. You know, I know there's a few of the residents here that are doing trauma or critical care. And right now, that since you're interviewing virtually it's a lot easier to schedule those around with like your day-to-day -day requirements as a resident and you don't have to worry about paying for travel so i know like some person here is doing like 25 30 interviews you know something crazy like that mm -hmm. where if you were trying to really fly and drive and go to all these places would be you know impossible as a resident so i think the virtual allows you maybe to cast a little bit wider net but there, in my mind, there's still something to be said about seeing a place in person you know even if it's for half a day or a day you for the most part, can at least go there and get like your gut sense 
of, yeah, I could really see myself here or people seem happier offers where I think that's a little bit harder to get talking to someone on a computer screen. Absolutely. And Dr. Zhang, yeah. you're, you're also seeing this from the attending perspective, interviewing candidates, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I completely agree with Dave. You know, I never had to um, luckily go through the interview process in a virtual format. But, you know, I think here at Rutgers, we've had to um, conduct our residency and fellowship interviews um, in the virtual format. And I do think that you lose um, some sort of like um, some intangibles, definitely, when you're virtual with somebody. I think the most obvious thing I notice is that, you know, um, sometimes the technical difficulties with the delay can make people seem like awkward. And if you're already kind of nervous, um, you know, having those kind of barriers may make you, you know, um, would add like additional stress. Um, I agree with Dave, like definitely it allows residents to kind of just, you know, do their interview, go back to work, you know, um, not have to take like so many days off and things like that for travel and it allows them to apply for um, more programs and maybe um, it saves them some money. But I always tell um, anyone who's interviewing at Rutgers here that if they're, they're interested, they should at least, um, you know, if it's, if our program's in their top three or something, to at least like come by if they've never seen the city, drive around the area, see if this is somewhere where they would want to live, they want to be happy. Um, also, you know, I, I do think like making a physical visit to the hospital may be, you know, useful because people can put up a really nice show, you know, um, with the virtual interviews. But then, you know, once you visit the hospital, it may not be what you're looking for. It may not be, you know, there's a lot. Um, um, especially if you're interviewing for residency, I mean, it's five to seven years of your life. So you really want to make sure that, you know, you're going to be happy in the facilities and the city with the people and things like that. Absolutely. It, it's been difficult for both residents and, and the fellows uh, who've come through the interview process. Um, and in terms of networking, do you think this has put a strain on the ability overall to network or do you think it's made it easier because you can reach more people uh, with the virtual format? Well, I guess I heard from the residents, I heard from a lot of feedback from like resident interviewees or fellows that, you know, it's actually, you know, that's one of the biggest detriments is that usually, you know, before when they were on the interview trail, they were able to talk to each other and you get a lot of information from like the gossip, so to speak, from kind of just like talking to, you know, your um, fellow interviewees and asking, oh, how's that program? Oh, you came from there. And maybe like, that's how you figure out if, you know, a program's the right fit personality-wise, maybe a program's malignant or, you know, their chair's leaving or something like that. And now with the virtual format, it's much more difficult for, I think, for um, the interviewees themselves to interact because um, sometimes I think there's attempts at these like group sessions, but they always feel like they're being monitored. So I definitely think you bring up a good point, Faria, which is that, you know, they lose out on some of that um, those that subtle networking that was there before. Yeah, I, because I'm, I'm sure it's the same when you interview for fellowship. You end up interviewing with the same three or four people for maybe half of your fellowships. You just happen to be on the same cycle, and you know you get to know them. And I still stay in contact with some of the people I met on the interview trail for fellowship. And I remember when we were interviewing fellows last year when this virtual thing started with COVID, we had some of those group sessions. But it's exactly like you said, like no one really wants to talk on a computer screen to like 
you know, other people and they kind of feel like they can't relax and let their guard down a little bit. So I do, do think it definitely negatively impacts that aspect of things. Yeah, it does make it difficult to communicate um, somewhat effectively. Um, in turn, and, and moving forward with this COVID, um, kind of the changes that have occurred because of COVID, how do you think it's affected the volume, the surgical volume that, um, and workload that residents have experienced in the last year? And for those uh, who are finishing up, who are now approaching the level of fellow, how do you think that affects their performance and their transition into fellowship? And even Dave, since you were a fellow during COVID, how do you think it affected your your overall clinical experience? Uh, you know, I, mean, I guess it impacted a little bit, but I think it also is very much dependent on where you were in your training and how your program handled it. So, you know, COVID hit us in Newark last spring. So that was, uh, you know, three quarters or so of the way through fellowship. So I felt like, you know, I'd gotten a decent experience of managing quote unquote the regular type of patients we had in the ICU and trauma and that stuff. Now obviously COVID hit and we lost a lot of trauma volume and whatnot. Um so I mean it impacted a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, instead of taking care of whatever 50 gunshot patients, I took care of 45 or something, you know, make some arbitrary numbers that it really matter those five patients. Probably not. Um, but obviously it hampered the potential of numbers you could have get. You know, I know talking to some of uh, the residents I still stay in contact to, like uh, some of those people lost out on two months of trauma or two months of general surgery because they got pulled to cover an ICU. And if those are your only two months in your training, then yeah, certainly that can be a negative impact. So I think it kind of just depends on how your program's structured and how they kind of responded to the needs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think COVID is such a unique experience. And, um, and I think the um, experiences people have with COVID definitely varied, like nationally, depending on, you know, um, the timing of the peaks and things like that. So I, I don't think that anybody's kind of like COVID surge experience was the same. I think in general, you know, um, I did see that um, in terms of our residents, um, you know, just because we participated in the COVID surge, I saw some of our, you know, very junior interns and like second years get really strong in critical care and really advanced techniques in ARDS, like, um, and I'm very impressed with them. And, you know, normally I would never, you know, leave just a fresh two alone in the ICU, but I, I found that the starting of this year, I, I could with certain residents because they've done so much ICU. Uh, conversely, you know, um, definitely, you know, um, in the beginning of COVID, um, our trauma numbers dropped. And so there was less, you know, it was less um, operative volume. And some residents really were stressed out about getting their numbers and being prepared. And I'm not really sure if that's going to push some residents to do a two-year fellowship versus like a one-year fellowship. Um, I think in general, um, we're lucky in acute care surgery that we're pretty protected because our um, scope of practice is so broad um, and, you know, certain hospitals canceled elective cases, but they never would cancel like emergencies, you know, emergency general surgery or trauma. And we always have covered the unit, but I definitely think, you know, in other specialties such as like, for example, like MIS or Surgeonk and things like that, if, um, if um, fellows training in those programs may have seen like a larger um, impact on their case volume and 
their training. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I, like you said, Dr. Zhang, I think COVID affected each program just a little bit differently, but um, uh, overall it, it may have affected the numbers and, you know, um, in certain ways the residents got stronger with their critical care um, skills and, and maybe while they missed out on some of the operative um, cases. Um, and so what advice would you give to somebody who's going through the process right now of applying to fellowship, who um, you know, is deciding whether or not they wanna do the one or two year um, program and um, you know, how they're gonna figure out, especially with, because they are in the virtual format and we are limited to in-person um, visitation, how to figure out um, choosing between the different types of programs, you know, programs that may or may not, you know, have a little bit more of a trauma-heavy focus versus like an emergency general surgery and things like that. So I like uh, Weiwei's idea of like, once you get your, you know, top two or three programs, if at all, if it's feasible, trying to set up, even if it's just like a two hour visit or something, so you can kind of see the site. Uh, and the one thing that one of my mentors told me, which I think is nice is, you know, get the number of previous fellows and contact, like programs shouldn't be shy away from doing that. Um, you know, assuming they have nothing to hide. So talk to previous fellows and talk to the residents. Because, you know, you talk to the residents, especially like the chief residents and that stuff, they're going to give you the unbiased thing about what it's like to work at the hospital. And yeah, it's not quite the same as working there as a fellow, but they can give you a pretty good idea of, you know, what a day-to-day -day life is like there. Um, so I think as far as, you know, trying to ascertain what a program's like virtually, that would be my advice. As far as the one to two year, I mean, I think the two big questions to ask are, what's your goal in fellowship? Because, you know, trauma is unique in that it's such a varied experience compared to the other surgical specialties that are, you know, all the same length or much more structured. You know, you can do one or two years, you can do places where it's a mix of you do trauma and ACS and ICU all through two years, or you can go to some places, you know, like Grady in Atlanta it used to be where it was very front loaded with like your ACS and trauma the first year, and then you did more of your ICU the second year, or, go to some places where you're only ICU the first year and don't really start doing operative stuff the second year. So you kind of have to decide what you're missing in your piece. And then even though, you know, you can do a one or two year fellowship and do whatever you want career rise. I still think that there's probably a push and a little bit of preference. You guys can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, since you're more in the academic world than I am, that at least what I was told in the sense I got is that if you're really, you know, focused for your career on doing the academic uh, surgery type route, it's a little bit easier and you probably have a little bit leg up if you do a two-year fellowship. A, it gives you time to publish some research and B, it's just the nature of the beast, the way academics are, that they really like to see that specialize and subspecialize and turn out some time. Um, and so what I was kind of told going through a thing, if I was really dead set on academics and yeah, I didn't mind doing a two-year to kind of give preference to a two-year over one year, Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, but that was kind of the general consensus when I was going through the process a year or two ago. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with with Dave said um, uh, two main reasons why people pursue a two year fellowship. Number one is if they are um, if they want to um, pursue a serious academic career and they think that that second year will give them a lot of opportunity to do research. Um, I think it's hard to get any research project done um, in one year. So having that second year, you know, um, stay or if um, really helps you, you know, continue that network and um, finish up projects and things. Another reason is if, you know, you're really interested in staying somewhere, kind of um, staying there another year and, um, you know, building your network, making those roots is really important. I think people also pursue a second year fellowship, I think, um, when there's a skill that they feel like they need to fulfill, such as they don't feel comfortable, you know, um, if you feel like you're lacking in a certain way, you just want more training, you want want more supervision. I always tell, you know, kind of um, the people who are applying is that, you know, that second year is another year of your life. And um, so you have to really um, think about, you know, what you want to accomplish, because you can do lots of other things during that year, you know, you could, you can start a job and make a lot more money, you can take that whole year off and, you know, travel, I don't know, you can, you know, have a family, I, I don't know, there's a million things to do. So you really have to be um, honest with yourself and figure out what my goals are and what I really want. Um, I tell like, um, I tell the fellows interviewing that, you know, to apply broadly, you know, to as many programs as you can, and then just figure out, you know, which program is going to match with you, you know, where you want to live, how you want your career to be, you know, the people that you want to look up to. Um, Because ultimately, I think a lot of times, um, you know, we, we feel like we're in this kind of rat race a lot. And, you know, we're always pushing forward to the best programs, the best jobs, the best, you know, med school residency. But um, maybe fellowship is a good time to actually explore yourself a little bit and figure out what your actual goals are. And picking the program that best matches what you want, I think is like, is super important. It's not about what your parents want, what your program director wants, what your spouse wants. It's about, you know, how you want to um, how you want to dictate your career. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a, that's a really good point. I think that's part of what makes, um, you know, being a trauma critical care emergency general surgeon, um, so unique and that we have three big areas that we focus on and you can choose to do all three. You can choose to kind of mix that combination, however you like to you know, the, the type of lifestyle and type of practice that you really want. So there's so many options um, for us to do that with. Um, and, you know, Dr. Deicher did mention um, the aspect of, you know, doing the two-year fellowship um, if you're more uh, leaning towards an academic um, career. And I think, I think that tends to be true, especially um, as the years um, go on and, and the more two-year programs that are opening up and the closer we are to getting more of, um, you know, more of a uh, more structured um, acute care surgery um, fellowship system where it's at one point in the future is probably going to require some sort of board certification. I think more and more academic centers are probably going to be looking for that extra year when they're looking to hire someone. Um, So that's something to keep in mind. It's not there just yet, but I think in the future, um, it probably will be. So people who are going to be applying down the line um, might have to take that into consideration. Um, I myself did a one-year fellowship. My fellowship was primarily um, 
so I graduated from Dartmouth and I did my fellowship in Hawaii and it was primarily um, uh, a year uh, in the ICU, um, but we did have um, the aspect of trauma mixed into it. Um, and we operated when we had the chance um, on the uh, general surgery cases as cases were uncovered. Um, and for me, I thought that was fine because with my residency program, I had good coverage, um, a good exposure to general surgery. Um, and then when I, I took my, my job here in Newark, um, I specifically chose it because it, it is trauma heavy. And I think that like Dr. Deicher and Dr. Zhang um, said, you get, you get that, um, that real feel of, of practice and experience as your uh, first year attending and you can never be fully prepared. The important thing is to learn as much as you can during training um, and then learn as much as you can from your partners once you're out in practice. Make sure that you, you choose that first job appropriately and you have the support that you need coming out of fellowship. Um, all right. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? No, we covered pretty much everything. Oh, well said, Dr. Sheikh. Yeah, thanks for letting us participate in this. Yeah, excellent. Well, I just wanted to thank you um, for everyone who uh, listened to the CareerCast. Uh, again, it's brought to you by the Career Development Committee um, of East. Um, and thank you, Dr. Deicher and Dr. Zhang for participating and giving us your um, uh, viewpoint on your experience and um, advice to future candidates. Have a great day. Thank you.